Hi, welcome to number four of Hearsay. I have a terrible head cold while I'm recording this intro, so I'm going to keep it short and sweet. My guest this week is Kelly Lloyd from Scream Feeder. I've known Kelly for a really long time. She's one of the first women I toured with who took me under their wing, so it means a lot to me that she opened up in this interview about some of her experiences touring and stuff. Uh, in this podcast, we also talk about how she started playing bass and writing songs, which is also really cool. This week's story is illustrated by my friend Joanne Thies, who's also a really beautiful photographer, so go check her out. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hearsay number four. So much for being on my podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm going to ask you a few questions about your music. Okay. About your other creative, because I know you have a lot of things that you do creative-wise, oh, i.e. you make film clips as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've done that, yes. I was like, oh, my God, what, am I, what do I do? <laughs> I don't do anything All else. those recorder bags that you knit, oh. pretty impressive. <laughs> when, when do I have the time, I ask myself. <laughs> um, so... Let's start with um, your childhood and oh. and how did you first like start liking music? Oh God, well, um, I think music for me was a re- bit of a rebellion, really. Um, my parents were into music, but they weren't like we didn't have lots of music in our house. But we'd always we went on lots of uh, driving holidays, and we would listen to like the Beach Boys and. Um, my mum and dad both really love Neil Diamond and John Denver. So I know like all of those sing-along kind of country songs and (laughs) stuff like that. Um, So, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't music that was necessarily groundbreaking or, um, you know, I don't know. I think when I was about 11, I started playing the guitar my, mm-hmm. my we had like an old acoustic guitar did your parents play my dad had a banjo and I think he was learning how to play the banjo for a while but right. kind of really couldn't get into it you and didn't gravitate towards the banjo no <laughs> I wish I did um but It'd you know handy. yeah it would um but I mean we didn't know how to tune it <laughs> it didn't sound good um but, you know, of course, I started my first instrument was recorder. Yeah. In All those school. recorder bags that you knitted. All those recorder bags. And I'm so good at knitting. <laughs> no, so, so recorder was my first instrument. Was that like compulsory at school? Yeah. yeah. And you I know, had that too. It was horrible. And when you burst out laughing, it just goes, Feep! <laughs> <laughs> Feep! <laughs> Mull of Kintyre was probably the first song I learned. Okay. On the, you know, Feep! Feep! Um, so yeah, Melican Tire was a favourite. And um then yeah, eleven years old, we had a nylon string guitar and my mum got me lessons because I was interested in taking that up. Mm. And um so I learned kind of like I learned how to, you know, like really basic how to play lead on the guitar. Oh, cool. So like picking and stuff. Well that's really that's an interesting way to start. Yeah, so I guess chords were 
part of it but I remember like having a little book of you know the lined um music yeah. paper with like um rudimentary like this is how you play scales on wow. the guitar and I got really bored really yeah. quickly and um, I realised, I guess my brother, he's a little bit older, he's three years older than me and he was sort of into like hard rock and a bit of heavy metal. So as I got older, I was hearing like the Angels and Iron Maiden and <laughs> stuff and, and I would sneak into his room and listen to records but now, and I was realising I was hearing the bass, that was what was really appealing to me. And um, so when I was 14 and I got my first job, you know, when you can work at 14 in eight months or whatever mm-hmm. it was, I got a job. And I saved up a hundred bucks, and I Whoa. bought myself my very first bass, which was um, a, a Fender. It was a Ibanez Fender jazz bass copy, and it was beautiful. And I wish I still had it, but I've yeah. smashed it up. And <laughs> <laughs> since I've had it for years, um, his name was Clyde. And oh, um, what a name! Yeah, I think I slept with him the first night. Like I cuddled <laughs> him all night. He was my beautiful bass that I yeah. love so much, and. Um, so yeah, I was fourteen. Then my guitar teacher, which is um, the father of uh, Sue Ray, who's a musician oh, that we great. know, yeah. uh, Owen Ray, he taught me how to play bass, and he taught me how to play by ear. So um, I would, he would give me a song and be like, you know, the Beatles, Long Tall Sally, or something mm. like that, and it'd be like learning how to do walking bass lines and backward walking bass lines. You know, all these really cool, cool things, yeah. and learning how to pick up the song by the end of it being on the radio. So that was his goal was to teach people how to play by ear. That's so cool. Yeah. It was that, a, I find that – is that a bit of an unusual way to teach I think music? so because there's no theory. He was like, I'm not going to teach you theory. That's like, I'm so not gonna, wonderful. Yeah. Because I think that's how I learned too, but I didn't have anyone – encouraging me to do it that way yeah. that's just you know the way you do it when you want to do something really bad yeah and yeah. I'm, I mean he may have t- taught other people how to read music or do yeah. those things but I think I knew that I didn't really want to learn theory I wasn't interested in music theory I just wanted to play the bass and I just wanted to rock out in yeah. the band eventually <laughs> But I was like, yeah, that's just what I wanted to do. And I remember him saying, don't bring any stupid modern songs. Like, they're just <laughs> stupid and they don't have any musicality to them. What were the modern songs oh, at like, that time? I took, well, like, Hoodoo Gurus. Oh. I think I took, oh, maybe that was a bit later, actually, because I was only 14 when this was happening. Was So was that the late 80s or? Yeah, so maybe it was, a, maybe it was 15 around this time. Um, so it could have been 85. Yeah. So, yeah, probably the Hoodoo Gurus, you know, something that he would just go on, oh, that's too weird, I can't work it out. So it's just <laughs> shit musically. <laughs> Don't worry about that one. Let's do this Beatles song. And um, But, no, I really did learn some really, really important lessons of, it, like, how to just play, like, rhythmically and um, being confident. And I'm actually teaching some bass at the moment to, like, a little 11-year-old. Right. And um, I'm going, look, it's boring. you just got to play these things like this. Just get yeah. used to the guitar. Just get used to holding it and play, moving your fingers on the fretboard and doing this and then doing it up here and doing it up further. And, yeah. Um, it's so di- – I remember that being really difficult when I think the first song I learned how to play was Come As You Are, um, just that, like, that bass line. Right. And I found it so difficult just to even get my fingers in the – right place yeah and because when it's so new and you so do you so mean on the bass unco, you would play no on, i just on played the it on the guitar mm. like just the bottom two strings yeah but um 
Because I didn't know how to do anything and my fingers couldn't do chords yet. Yeah. And my brother just went, oh, just one. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the easiest thing ever. Well, you know, but... I think I was learning things like the Peter Gunn theme, mm. you know, like, and Dig It Up by the Hoodoo Gurus was yeah. another, it just was the same thing, basically. Uh, but it was just all about being confident, holding it. That's and, right. And doing it in time and not having it buzz or not actually connect or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I I remember finding that really difficult and learning chords, you know, when you're playing guitar or yeah. learning, I guess you would learn like some complicated octaves and stuff like well, that. Well, I remember when I was learning the guitar, I got to bar chords and I just went, boo, no. <laughs> well, I had really small fingers, which I still do, but I think they just weren't very strong either. Mm. And when you're doing bar chords on like a an acoustic, you know, nylon string guitar, if you don't know, kind of, you don't understand what it is, it didn't, it didn't make any sense. And I just yeah. went, too hard, I don't care, I don't want to do it, where's yeah. the bass? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I got like a bass a year later or whatever it was. And then I started learning how to play the bass and going up to the A on the E string and just like going, oh, so if I'm playing like an octave here, that's actually like a chord. Yeah. That's what bar chords are about, <laughs> yeah. vaguely in that. Or power chords at least. Yeah, yeah. power chords. Yeah. So um, that was a massive revelation and like oh, cool. things, this, I think, you know, you that moment where your brain shifts and you can feel it, it goes chink yeah. and you go, oh, I understand everything. <laughs> <laughs> Give Music me back that sense. guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'll just learn every hooker is forever. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's awesome. So, um, so you started learning guitar um, from Sure's dad. For the oh, sorry, bass. the bass. Yeah, yeah. And then you wanted to start a band. Well, so he was teaching quite a few people, like young kids, and he teamed me up with a guitarist, two guitarists, and they had a friend who was a drummer and someone else knew a singer. So we were just like <laughs> this instant band and it was like four guys and me and we were all like between, say, 15 and 18 years old That's or something. Great. And uh, so we did... Um, like a whole bunch of covers and yeah. what and did, we, did you have did you have anything in common with the dudes just that we, we had the same <laughs> guitar teacher but we ended up being friends like it was actually quite a lot of fun and they were really nice people and um, we you know we played such a mishmash of things we were in Toowoomba it was like the late 80s and you know it was just so weird <laughs> and um, so what were you playing what covers uh God, we were playing, what were we playing? Uh, I think we played an Angel song. Yeah. I think we played Twist and Shout and I got to scream. Great. Which I loved. Yeah. Let's play that song again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And our singer had a really whiskey kind of voice, like a really gravelly voice. So I think we played a Bob Seger song, but I don't even know what it would have been. Um... We might have played Dire Straits. Great. But I can't I can't actually really remember. <laughs> I think we played Alone With You by the Sunny Boys. Oh, I love that song. Um They sound like pretty great songs. Yeah, to play I mean, together. you know, it was pretty cool. Yeah. For a bunch of misfits. Yeah. And like I was a little goth chick, like I was a little swampy <laughs> and they were really straight. We were the weirdest <laughs> looking collection of people. <laughs> Yeah, and oh, i got to tell you what our name was too. That was the best part. Well, the name of the band was Blame Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll give you a guess why. Because I was the only girl 
And whenever anything went wrong, it was Kelly's fault. Oh, no. Yeah. So in high school, you know, I was in grade 10 and I was playing in a rock band and we were playing places, we were doing stuff and we recorded some original stuff. Um, uh, I was in high school doing like film and video it was the first time that film was a, a um, subject mm-hmm. and um, I didn't make it a film clip but I was doing things, I was making film clips for other bands oh cool and um so I was that was a, sort of like a, a adjacent passion yeah I and mean, when I was a super nerd when I was a kid in like high school my holidays would be going to the local am radio station to do like um work experience That's for two great. weeks or whatever cute and I did it every holidays they knew who I was I was like Aww. I basically if I'd stayed in Toowoomba I probably would have been working there um, That's awesome. yeah it was cool um, I also did work experience at the local TV station and then I ended up doing my own radio show at 4DDB, <laughs> the um, university oh, yeah. station, yeah. 4DDB, dead, dull and boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was heaps of fun. Like, I learned so much doing that. You know, it was just like this volunteer organisation run by hippies in, yeah. in Toowoomba in the 80s and I think it still runs, I don't know actually. But, I, you know, I had my own show. That's great. Like on Friday afternoons. So was that – you were still in high school then? Yeah, I was in grade 11 and 12, I think, when I was doing that. Cool. Yeah. And playing in your covers band? Playing in my covers band. And did you play live anywhere? Yeah, yeah, we played quite you a play- few shows. Yeah, cool. we played pubs and stuff. Wow. Yeah, it was weird. So I started gigging when I was 15. That's cool. Yeah, and I've never stopped. Then you started going to uni? In Toowoomba? Uh, no, I moved to t- to Brisbane when right. I was just turning 18. Um, so I, your band, Blame Kelly, had to break up. Yeah, we. I think we might have broken up before I moved away and everything. It, you know, it wasn't like a big thing. It wasn't <laughs> like we were going to take on the world. Um, I was in another band called Beggar's Wusts. <laughs> <laughs> I used to hang out in this, you know, house. It was all share housing kind of thing with all these young you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds mm-hmm. who were like all the misfits in Toowoomba and um, we formed a band called Beggar's Wurst, which was... I don't name. think we ever even practised, though. <laughs> <laughs> we would just kind of maybe get drunk. Just tell everyone and, that you were yeah. in a band. Yeah. Uh, so um, when I was in year 12, I applied to the Queensland College of Art to study film and TV and I didn't get it because I was 16, basically. I went and had an interview that, you know, you got an interview there and I was 16 at the time because I started school when I was four. So Whoa. when everyone was graduating um, and turning 18, is that right? I was turning 17. Yeah. So I was 16 in year 12. Yeah, that's a year younger. And then in I was turning whatever in February. Yeah. So um, I... Um, I went and had this interview and they said, you're really good because I'd won a couple of awards and stuff and, and I was, you know, doing really kind of pretty interesting things on VHS and <laughs> pneumatic tape and stuff and they were like, okay, you're just too young to move to another city and be doing this so why don't you go back, get some better grades because <laughs> I was not the best student, um, go back to school or take a year off and then apply again okay. next year. And so I did that. I went back to school and repeated year 12 did marginally better and um, uh, got into QCA, did film. And I did that for three years. And in my third year, 
I moved to Brisbane, just turning 18. Um, and uh, in my third year, I was like in three bands. <laughs> the first year I was like, I'm just going to scoop out the city yeah. and see what happens. And then I got involved in Bums Magazine and... What's like Bums a, Magazine? Oh, Bums Magazine was this thing called Brisbane Underground Music Scene. <gasps> so it was like a fanzine, but it was it was kind of the gap between a fanzine and street press. So it was it was free. It wasn't as big as street press, but it had advertising and it okay. had gig guides and it came out every two weeks or something. And um, so I started off doing reviews and articles and then I ended up sub-editing it even though I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> But that meant basically collating the magazine in my lounge room. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that was really cool. I started writing and doing like reviews and stuff and in like the Courier Mail, I think, and like Rave and I did. And then like Lemon Magazine and Hot Metal Magazine. I kind of started doing that. And then I started to pull back in going, I don't feel comfortable having my opinion out there. Yeah. Because my band started to take off. Yeah. Um, uh, So that was... So I joined, so yeah, my my final year of uni, I was in a band called Crud, mm-hmm. um, and Crud broke up, and I joined the Mad Men, which became Scream Theater, yeah. and um, but I've been in bands before that, so you know I've been like November Bled and all these, um, I think maybe a Jigsaw Feeling was another one. <laughs> so, so I love all these names. I know they're so great. Nineties. Well, oh 80s. Was it 80s, 90s? Uh, so this was 90s. This yeah. was like 90, maybe yeah. 89 and 90. Yeah. And then in 91, I was in Scream Vita and... Um, so why did w- did you change your name from Mad Men to... There was another bass player. Oh, okay. And so they... I used to live in this really cool flat above a barbecue shop on Ipswich Road in Mullingabba. And my band was practising there and um tim had heard of my band that that was november bled and he'd heard of us i met him one night and um, i wanted to make a film clip for them because i was in second year uni yeah and we had to make a film clip and i was it was on 16 mil and all this stuff great and so i approached him and um he was like yep that sounds great and he goes oh don't you guys have a really cool practice room we need a new practice room and so they moved into my flat kind of thing um and they started practicing there and me and my flatmate, Rachel, would just kind of sit there and watch them. And I was like really enamored by them. I thought they were so great. And um, we'd kind of go, how will we get rid of Cam, the bass player? How will we get rid of him? <laughs> and eventually they had a really big fight. Like they were seriously just practicing in my house for a year or something. And, um, and, and I was in another band and they knew I played bass and they had a fight with Cam. Cam walked out. I think Tony, the drummer, was like, so do you want to play this gig on the weekend? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. And, um, That's so great. Yeah, so I joined sort of, the band. Not for Cam. But oh, well, Cam's like a scientist, mathematician oh, now, wow. so he didn't care. Yeah. Like, he went off and did his thing. Yeah. And um, I joined the band. We needed to change the name. We, and then we just started recording um, our first record. And then every, we started touring and then... I was moving out of a house I was living in, put my stuff in storage. We put the first record out and then we toured for years and I was wow. I was kind of in between share housing, moving in and out of houses for years. That's and crazy. So that was, just blew up? It did. It was sort of slow burning because like Triple J had just started to go national yeah. around that time as well. Maybe not straight away but like later in the 90s. Yeah. So we put our first record out in 91, I think, 92. 
and we would just we had our own car well Tim had a van and we would just drive and we would go away for weeks and just drive from city to city and um was there any planning involved did you yeah there was plan there was definitely planning involved um so Tony, our drummer, was like our booking agent. And he okay. would get home from work and sit on the phone talking to Wally Meany and organising <laughs> the Melbourne trips and then linking that up to... We had a, we ended up getting a label in Sydney. So, you know, and like Joe Seg in Sydney became our yeah. manager. And uh, so there was just this connection. It was like old school, like what Henry Rollins talks about with their books of people and contacts yes. and floors you can sleep on. I mean, That's it was awesome. kind of not as sophisticated a network but there was still a network of yeah how you do it and we'd play like regional places to the point where it was like we couldn't play regional anymore like once triple j became like a um national concern that was really great for a few years but then it just kind of petered out for certain kinds of bands to be able to go and play in like the bush yeah it just became too hard and yeah then we having to start to uh, have to play uh, drive, not drive anymore like take aeroplanes and yeah. touring really changed because it was a becoming really dangerous to drive all the time yeah you know people were like playing in Brisbane and driving to Sydney and then driving to Melbourne you know you'd be falling asleep on the yeah trip. I did a lot of that <clears throat> the trip excuse or me or hitting kangaroos yeah, yeah and like we hit a kangaroo and got stuck in Morcania and had to catch a bus That's back so to crazy. Brisbane and um you know there were times you were driving and the driver was falling asleep um John Boyrock was our sound guy and he was he was I was in the uh, passenger seat he just kind of veered off I don't know if he was asleep he was just zoned out yeah and went into the oncoming (gasps) lights of a truck and it was just like whoa and moved back again and then we were all just in shock for a while going yeah all right um yeah we need to rethink this yeah I had definitely had moments like that in Sekiden where yeah. it was just becoming unsafe to drive. But I remember also when I was on tour in Canada and we had really long drives. We, would, we think we did about 46,000 kilometres on our van in a few months. And Oh, my goodness. Um, I told one of the guys that was um, touring with us the whole story of Buffy from beginning <laughs> to end <laughs> to try and keep him awake. Wow. <laughs> How many how many series is that? There's shitloads. <laughs> I probably left out a lot. Probably. Did like, you so you didn't go off into all the character <laughs> development, like subplots. I think and... I tried, but I tried to keep it like just really interesting so he was hooked. Yeah. Oh, that's I a don't good know idea. if that worked. Well, you're probably alive. just good to have someone talking at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really want to go back to um when you started writing your own songs. Mm-hmm. Um so was that sort of when you started playing bass, did you sort of start thinking about writing your own songs? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, I was really into The Cure when mm-hmm. I was, you know, 15. And so I, I was doing a lot of strumming and it was really quite mind-blowing to be able to play the bass in a um, melodic and rhythmic kind of way. So yeah. I was, um, you know, playing strummy kind of things. So I, this, I remember this guy in a... Um, in a music shop showed me a forest and I was just like, the world changed again. And it's such uh, a good bass song. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's so great. And then, you know, a 15 year old girl, like I, my world opened up because it was like, you hadn't seen, I hadn't seen anyone playing the bass like that. And, um, it was 
really amazing um, and I could write songs. And I think though I did write more songs on the guitar because that kind of kind of made sense to write songs on the guitar. Yeah. I don't know if it's like that for you when you're playing a keyboard. Yeah, I write completely different songs yeah. depending on what I'm playing. So I've probably written only a few songs on the bass and okay. they would be strummy stuff. Yeah. And um, more of my songs would be on the guitar. So um, what period of time did you start thinking about writing your own songs? Um, yeah, probably like when I was 15. But I, I didn't really take that very seriously until I was probably in, in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wrote poetry and stuff, but I never really... Yeah, the songwriting thing didn't really become a serious thing until I was in my 20s. So what band? Were you already in Scream Feeder then? No. So I was in a band called what was this one November Bled yeah so that that was when I was probably 18 or 19 Mm -hmm. and um it was with this Canadian guy Colin and this other guy Ian who was a drummer and um you know by this time I was into like Died Pretty and Huskadoo and so I'd always kind of been into a Australian independent music like the moths and the stems and all that kind of radio Burman and I don't know a whole mishmash of different things um and then Colin was into like the Minutemen and like more punk rock kind yeah, of cool. stuff and this North American thing so we would write I would write something and he'd write something and we'd mish it together mash it together and um but, uh, yeah, so I was really into screaming then. <laughs> so my songs might be like a little bit uh, whimsical bass line, like a strumming bass line, and then a little bit la la and then blah, just screaming. <laughs> just um, the twist and shout moment. <laughs> yeah, but not poppy. It wasn't like pop yeah. songs. It was just like it would be like a song, you know. Uh, so there was one song that I, I ended up recording on my solo record, I think, Um it was um, actually it was very Sonic Youthy. So I was into Sonic Youth. Mm-hmm. I, I just um, heard their f- um, uh, what's that one? New uh, Bad Moon Rising. Yeah. So you know it was really kind of tribally and mm. just noisy and and just you could make guttural noises and that was it fine. Was cool. And so yeah. I was doing that and it was lots of fun. I really liked it. Um, and then the same with Crud. Crud was like the mastermind of this guy, Jeff, who I met in film school and he was he loved My Bloody Valentine and he loved um, like Pussy Galore and stuff mm. like that. So we had these really weird uh, riffy songs where I was singing and this other guy, Paul, was singing and then there might be just just screaming. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and, stuff. and it was very cathartic. I loved it. Mm. And then when I was in Scream Feeder, there were... Song, some songs where I would scream. Yeah, yeah. But then I lost the ability to do it. I mean, I can scream, but it kind of knocks me out. Like, I can't. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's weird. Because I happened. put all of my everything into it. Yeah. Like, we've just recently started doing Car Man again, which is a song that was on um, Flower. Mm. And at the end, I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> just screaming for as long as I could. And then, so we started doing it again when we were re releasing all of our back catalogue. Um, 
uh, it came out on vinyl and we played some songs and we did that song. (laughs) And at the end of it, I would be just, I'd black out and I would nearly fall over. So uh, let's talk about when you started writing songs in Screen Feeder. Did you... um, did you write with Tim or did you sort of write separately? Yeah, so always? um whew. so there was a few points of contention about my songwriting with Screen Feeder um, from where, where from our drummer. <laughs> <laughs> so he he didn't dig it so much. I mean he didn't mind my songwriting, he didn't like me singing basically. Um and so Tim and I and Tony, we all lived together in a house when I first joined. Um, and so at that time I was, well, unemployed in, in inverted commas, I was writing for a couple of magazines and doing reviews and stuff. And, um, we had a little office space and Tim would be writing songs or he'd be doing his thing and I'd be writing reviews and playing the guitar and we'd like, you know, dare each other to do stupid things. And (laughs) that's how we spent our days. Um, what kind of things? (laughs) (laughs) He dared me to eat a raw potato <laughs> for 10 bucks. <laughs> and I was broke. I had no money and I was hungry. And um, I was like, you're on. <laughs> <laughs> so I ate like a raw potato. But while he wasn't looking, I spat most of it out because you good job. can get sick eating Yeah, I was going to say, did you get sick? No, I didn't get sick. That's good. It was you the cheated. next thing that he dared me to eat that made me sick. <laughs> So that was, I made 10 bucks and it was like, right, what do you want to do next? And then he was like, I'll make you a sandwich with five ingredients and a dollar an ingredient. So it was a piece of bread with like tomato sauce and Ovaltine. Yeah. Uh, A couple of other things, maybe Fruit Loops and a half cooked egg. Oh. So I ate most of that and I was sick. But I made 15 bucks. Yes. So I didn't need to buy food for a while (laughs) because I was sick. But I had money. I probably went out and bought cigarettes and some <laughs> some red wine goon or something. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> pretty classy back then. Uh, anyway, so the songwriting thing, um, I wrote a song. Uh, I don't, I wasn't writing a lot of songs then either, but I wrote one that um, ended up being on Burn Out Your Name. It's called uh, Sushi Bowl, mm-hmm. and they really liked the song, uh, but. I wasn't allowed to sing it. Oh. So, and I couldn't really sing very well back then either. I'm I'm not, you know, that's fine because I really couldn't. And Tim has a fairly emotive voice. He can do things that I couldn't do. So he sang that song. And then I came up with another song and Tony was like, yeah, that's a good song, but you're not singing it. And then I was like, well, you know what? If I can't sing it, I don't want to play it. We're not playing it. Yeah. And so we had a fight about it. We mm. fought a lot. Um, and, um, you know, we had a pretty... Uh, like toxic relationship pretty mm. much <clears throat> and um uh so then I ended up doing a solo record a few years later where I did all the songs that I had been writing but had no vehicle and I, could, yeah, I couldn't great. do anything with them and mm. and that was really cathartic and scary and you know scratch my head as like why did I do so that scary yeah and I was 25 I think or 23 actually maybe when that came out um, and I didn't do another one for like over ten years. And but did you um, play any solo shows around that time? Yeah, I did, and I hated them. Yeah, I hated my songs. I hated playing the guitar because I just felt like I, I, I've never been the best guitarist. And it wasn't until I could play 
um, unusual tunings where I found a way to play well. Yeah. And even still, I play really hard, like I'm playing the bass, and I play bass like Sid Vicious, like I yeah, yeah. I hit quite hard. Um, I love watching you play guitar, though. I really? Think, yeah, I think there's so much passion there. Well, I think you don't though, fuck around. when you're hitting the guitar really hard, <laughs> like you're playing the bass like Sid Vicious, you probably don't get the best nuanced kind of sound out of the guitar well there's no dynamics but it's cool well I I mean I liked doing it and it, yeah. and it was you know I keep saying cathartic but it really was it yeah. wouldn't it I wouldn't care if anyone was there because it, it was more about like getting it out yeah um and then I went through all different like different pedals and different amps and like I I kind of had a really hard time I never found the combination of things that worked for me until like, you know, years later when I did my second record and I kind of like, oh, well, yeah, I've got all these different tunings and um, I'm a better player, I'm a better singer and I can, I won't, I'm not hiding behind all the noise. I can, I can strip these songs down and just be acoustic even. So, I don't know, I re- it took me such a long time to get to a place where I'm like, I'm a confident solo player. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm there yet. Well, so you, I just saw you play the other day. Yesterday. Like yesterday. <laughs> well, I was just trying to like give it, you know, <laughs> didn't want to give it a date or anything. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> but you're amazing because like you're, you know, like when you were on stage with two other people who play completely different kinds of music, uh, and I think, you know, some people in the audience had no idea what you were going to do and you stood <laughs> up and you had a little thing, like a little palm pilot in your hand <laughs> pressing buttons and all these amazing sounds come out. And you've got this beautiful voice and you've got these amazing songs. It's like just astounding. Oh, like that's it's really it's lovely. almost more amazing than seeing someone stand up and just make something on a guitar happen because it's like I can understand what's going on when I see that, but yeah. I don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> it's like it's mystical, magical, like unicorns and stuff. Wow. But I feel like that when I see people play guitar too because, you well, know, I've, yeah. and I've never really played around with different tunings so I've always loved, you know, watching you and other people play with that. You should give it a go because it's so freeing. Yeah, you gotta, I'd like to. It's like learning another instrument and you've yeah. got no rules. you just got to unlearn everything you know. Yeah. But you play the guitar hard. as well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything to unlearn. <laughs> Everything's a magical... Every time I write a song, it's a miracle. That's how I feel too. Yeah. It's, it's the only way to be, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got friends that are really amazingly trained classical musicians mm. and the types of songs that they write are so different to the mm. types of songs that I write. Mm. And I think part of that is because half the time I've got no idea where I'm going to go. Yeah. You know, you just move your fingers to a certain position and you go, oh. Yeah. Yay! Well, that's, that's what it's like for me too. That's cool. Um, but you have a musical ear, so you know yeah. what sounds right. Yeah, it's because we played Dire Straits when we were 12. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. It's so uncool. <laughs> I love Dire Straits. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I don't know. I was listening to, oh, what's that? A War on Drugs record. Yeah. When I was... Uh, you know, I had it on rotation in my car. I played it three or four times. I went, oh, there's something about this record I can't stand. But I love it on this, <laughs> as much as I hate it. And I realized that it was like all of the guilty pleasures of mine from the 80s, all the synthy kind of um, overproduced dire straits and um, 
uh, Don Henley yes. and the Eagles. I don't know, all mm. these things that I was just kind of like repulsed and bristled <laughs> by. And um, here it is in this new form, reimagined by a cool guy yeah. with really great songs. And um, it was like I was being torn apart. Yeah. It was so, I love that record so That's much. That's awesome. That's yeah. a great realisation to have too. Yeah. I think it would be difficult to pinpoint yeah. exactly. Because I was hearing sounds where I was like, that sounds like the boy, um, Boys of Summer. Or it sounds like... <laughs> That's a great song. Yeah, I know. I love that song. Yeah. But, you know, um, uh, other songs that maybe weren't so good but were on those types of records. Like Chris Rea, I don't know if you even know no. him. It's like this... Because uh, I used to do work experience at the radio station they used to get all of these seven-inch singles that were sent to them from every record label all over the world and stuff, and they would only play, like, a certain very small amount of them, and I would get... I would be able to take home all of these other vinyl seven-inches, and I had, like, the weirdest collection. They had the go-betweens and Elvis Costello and this Chris Rea song that I really liked, Um, and all these crazy songs... And it was all the 80s stuff. Yeah. And they only played, like, really commercial stuff because it was an AM station. And um, so, yeah, I have this really weird 80s experience yeah. and it's all on that fucking record. And I go, <laughs> oh, it's so But weird. you love it. I do love it. <laughs> but that was all this – that reminds me of all the really serious stuff from mm. the 80s, not like right. the, you know, Cindy Lauper-y type yeah, of, or whatever. Not the fun stuff where yeah. it's like – bubbling with yeah. noises or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. This is like all this really uh, subtle, classy, well overproduced yeah. Um, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when – I just want to talk a bit more about like when you um, – when you started playing a lot of shows with Screen Feeder, mm. you started recording a bunch of albums. Mm. I know that – um. I don't know what year Kitten Licks was, but I remember hearing a lot of Scream Fit around that time mm. and being super excited. And I felt like you guys were everywhere. You were playing a lot of festivals. Mm. You were playing a lot of shows. Mm. Do you remember when that started taking off? Yeah, that I think that record came out in 95, mm-hmm. 96. And um, that was also the same year that my solo record came out oh, too, right. which was really weird because I needed weird. to, like our drummer, Tony, had left before Kitten Lick, so mm-hmm. we had a new drummer. Yep, Dean we wrote, Schwerb. Dean Schwerb. We um, went about writing songs in a whole different way. We would go into a practice room and, and practice for like a couple of hours every day. Wow. And um, we co-wrote most of those songs in the practice room. Some of them would, were brought in, but some of them were you know, happening, we would jam and then someone would stand up and sing and that became that part of the song. That's why there's a lot of to and froing in yeah, the record. Yeah, I love that, yeah. So that was a whole All different way. kind of stuff. Yeah, and we'd never done that before and that was really cool. And we've been trying to do that. We're doing a new record. So we've been trying to kind of um, not replicate it but work on that way. Yeah, and um, the drums changed substantially. Yeah. So Dean had been from another band called Hate Man, which was this dirgy, like slow grindcore kind of band. And, you know, we're this kind of pop band yeah. with like loud guitars and, you know, we were coming, we we're moving out of grunge. Yeah, um, a bit more poppy. And, and got more poppy. 
which of those songs were already poppy, but they were just slathered in mm. guitars and dripping in bass distortion yeah. and stuff. Um, uh, so it was a very exciting time because I felt like I was unshackled from this um, uh, toxic relationship yeah, in the, the band. Yeah, and then it meant that Tim and I were freer. Um, Dean was like an amazing different kind of drummer to work with a different person and then yeah that record just kind of changed everything so it was everything was great at that point and we were everywhere we were playing festivals we were on recovery we were doing major tours we were supporting major american or touring bands we were a bit flavor of the monthly um and that was really exciting. And I kind of feel bad that I didn't ever really kind of stop and stand there for a moment and go, look around, enjoy what was happening. It was just kind of like lots of drinking, lots of, you know, like not noticing stuff. Yeah. But that's, I mean, I think everybody has that. Yeah. I don't think you ever stop to smell the roses when you're in such a, like, you know, you're caught up in the whole yeah. whirlwind of it all. Exactly. And I, I mean, it's, I, that's what I, if anyone ever says to me, what advice have you got for a young band that's starting out? It's like, just kind of when things are moving, just kind of try and take it in. Yeah, enjoy it. Because I never did. And then it wasn't until looking back, I was like, oh, I wish I could have slowed down for a moment. Yeah. I, and I have done that recently where I've been able, I've been playing and I just kind of go, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, and um, more about the sound, like being in between Tim and Derek. Yeah, yeah. Having this guitar swirling around me, I'm in the middle and I'm just like, going, whoa, this is <laughs> incredible. I sometimes have those moments on stage where it's not a, um, oh my God, this is the best time of my life, but I quite often have this, this is so weird. This yeah. is so bizarre. You know, like yeah. I remember um, playing Big Day Out and for the first time and just thinking, like, how did I get here? What am I doing with my life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But in a good way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, do you remember your first festival? Um, yeah. Um, or one it, of the, the most sort of memorable? Uh, so we played lots of we, – we played a few Triple Z market days, which were always, like, big, loose affairs yeah. in a park under a bridge or, you know – um, at the Roxy. At the Roxy or in a car park yeah. or in a field, you know, in the inner city. Like really random, great, fun shows. Um, so they were our first big festivals. And and then like the um, Livid. Did we play Livid? We did. We played Livid and a, a few times actually. And then Big Day Out kind mm. of started. And then we were, we would play the Gold Coast and maybe like – um, Adelaide and maybe Melbourne or something. We would play a couple of weird sort of shows along there. Uh, and, and they were amazing too, but they are also those moments where, you know, I don't remember them mm. that well because they were part of the world. Yeah. I remember little weird things like being at the Hilton at Adelaide after when everyone's sitting in the foyer and you're yeah. like, I'm sitting like two seats away from Björk. Yeah. And um, that's so I'm... weird that you say that because I've had a really weird experience with Björk at the Hilton and Adelaide. Oh, really? Yeah. Was it the same um, big day out or was it not a big maybe. day out? Yeah, it was a big day out, but this was probably maybe 2008. 
So maybe a bit later. This was probably late 90s. Yeah. I um, can't even remember though. Did you meet her? No. I no, accident- I was so fucking scared of everybody. <laughs> so was I. Yeah. I accidentally met her. So I um I got out of the lift because, you know, everyone stays there. Yeah. And she was – I just saw this woman sitting on her own and I walked up to her. And she looked up and I, without thinking, because, you know, you're kind of living on another planet when you're yeah. doing those things. Yeah. And she looked up at me and I said, hello. <laughs> and as I said it, I was like, oh, fuck, it's Björk. <laughs> and then, hello. Hello. <laughs> and then uh, she sort of looked at me and I, I panicked and I said, I, I really, I really liked your show today. <laughs> and she kind of looked up, looked away. <gasps> and then I said, um. My name's Saya. <laughs> Put out my hand. Yeah. And she literally sort of grabbed the tip of it and then um then looked away, like I looked oh. away. And I just felt like my heart was just sinking further and further and I really thought, Okay, I I've just gotta give up and I I just went, Okay, bye and walked off. And oh I have such Yeah, it was awful. I've got a moment like that where I was crushed. To tears really? by my idol. Oh no! I'm sure I've told you this story yeah, you before. Have. Yeah. Do you want to tell it? Again? Yeah. That was like a low point of my life. <laughs> was <laughs> this, this a around... great story? <laughs> was this around this time when you were just getting a lot of international support? God, I mean, I don't remember. Yeah, it was yeah. part of the whirlwind, probably. Yeah, but I think it was well after Kitten Licks. It was probably okay. into Rocks on the Soul yeah. time. Maybe I don't even really yeah. know. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but I mean, you know how some people are like, oh, it was 1997, it was October because it was this blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't remember years and everything's a blur. Um, (laughs) I barely remember my own name, but I have a good job. (laughs) Um, So it was the Breeders and they, it was like the second time I think they've had come to Australia and they were playing with the band Fear, that that was their backing band. Oh, I saw that show. That was great. Yeah, at the arena. Yeah. And um, we we were supporting them. And um, so I was backstage. We'd just sound checked and they were kind of getting ready to go maybe. I don't know. It was kind of that limbo in between playing and, and not playing. And Kim was talking to the guitarist and, you know, I am – not a can I have my photo with yeah. you or like yeah. can you sign my thing I've never I just yeah, never either. had done that yeah and you know I played with Pavement and Henry Rollins and Lush and you know played all these really big gigs and stuff yeah. and I'd never done that so anyway uh I went up to her and I had my camera like an actual snappy camera and I was like hi <laughs> <laughs> can I get my photo with you <laughs> you know like kicking the dirt you know like hi <laughs> Um, I think I even tugged her shirt. <laughs> um, and she looked at the guy and she looked at me and she stuck her fingers in her ears, like pointed in, pointed to her ears. Like she's going, I can't hear you. Shaking her head, oh, no. like mouthing, I can't hear you or no. something. And she just walked away. <laughs> and oh, I was goodness. just standing there and I looked at him and he just shrugged. It's and just I just ruined went, your childhood. Oh, no. And um, I, well, I just like didn't know what to yeah. do, and I went back into our room, and I just kind of sat there and went, "Um, oh, such a fool," and I started oh, to cry, no. and I'm not a crier either. It was just <laughs> everything yeah, that's was really, really confronting. weird. And um, 
I know that they were going through a pretty hard yeah. time because both her and Kelly were giving up drinking. Yeah. They were sober and not yeah. really having a good time with yeah. that because we were told, you know, we had separate rooms. We were told, do not talk to any of them with a beer in your hand. Yeah. Do not be on stage with any alcohol and do not give them anything. Yeah. So, you know, I know That's they really were hardcore. in a bad space. Yeah. But we played with them years later, just recently. Yeah. And... um. I was just kind of like, <laughs> oh no. And um, so we played at, in Brisbane and that in Sydney. And um, the Sydney show was the second show, I think. Yeah. And she came on stage and she was like, oh, wow, that was a really great sound show. It was so great. You know, and like said something to me about my bass sound or something and said, what's your name? And I'm like, it's Kelly. She's Can like, oh no, we got another one. <laughs> As in, like, oh, I've got another Kelly. Yeah, yeah. This is not good. And I just went, oh, fuck, get me out of here. But she was really nice. Yeah. And oh, um, that's nice. of course, I didn't tell her yeah. about that thing. But um, you know, she's in a better place. She was in a much better place. Yeah. She was really friendly. She was really lovely, and the whole band were. And that's lovely. Yeah, it was a nice kind of uh, redemption. Redemption. Maybe I'll have my redemption moment Maybe. with Björk one day. Yeah. I just I I didn't knew I didn't even want to meet her. Yeah. You know like I I knew that I didn't want to meet her and I it just happened so accidentally where yeah. I just thought you know when you see famous people and you yeah. think you know them because yeah. you know their face. Yeah. Um so I just thought I knew her and then I yeah then I totally did not know her. <laughs> yeah. I had the same experience. <laughs> yeah, that's hard though cuz like I I don't think I ever had done that again yeah. and hadn't done it previously. Yeah. Well, that's – yeah, I'm the – I never – I've never got an autograph in my life. Mm. Um, I was there when Simon got Tim Gain from Stereolab's autograph, so I helped him get it. Mm. But that's it. Yeah. And so I think the thought of someone feeling like I'm a punisher is just awful because I'm sure you know that – what it's like to be on the other end. Yes, and it was a really great lesson for me to not be like that yeah. when people are like, can you sign this thing? Yeah. And I'm like, of course. Yeah, I love you. you. <laughs> yeah, I love you. Come here, be my best friend. Let's get photos. Here, I'll take a selfie on my phone. Give me your number. I'll send it to you. No, I mean, I'm not like that either, but no. um, I You're definitely, polite. yeah, I definitely realised that... Um, you know, when you play in a band, people see you in a certain way and, and you're not that person, but you have to play along with that in, yeah. t- to an extent. And, you know, I don't know, it makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm not kind of really that person. Yeah. But I just recently did this girls rock camp kind of thing where I was working with um, uh, groups of young girls yeah, who yeah, were playing an that. instrument. So great. Yeah, it was so great. So I was teaching these uh, group of girls how to play bass. I taught them how to play Blitzkrieg Bop. Great. And... Um, but then they all paired off – oh, well, they got into groups of bands and um, I was looking after a band, helping them, like, write their song and, you know, getting together to play the gig on the weekend. And, um, you know, it was just such a wonderful experience to be around kids who are, you know, just kind of doing that stuff where that's, I started. Yeah, that's and, really um, exciting. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. And so kind of, you know, you got to – be really giving and yeah so lots of things have kind of made me go oh, you know you just got to be a good person yeah out there yeah yeah I totally agree so I think we, we've sort of almost talked for an hour Holy crap. Um, that went really quickly so I just want to ask you my final question which is 
so I just want to ask you about either your worst show, your strangest show, or just the most memorable thing that's happened to you <clears> as <throat> part of your creative process or endeavor. Hooey. Um, well, I know you have a lot of weird ones. Yeah, there's lots of weird ones, <laughs> like playing at a high school, uh, a girls' high school, and having all of the girls on stage jumping up and down that with us awesome. while we're playing. Yeah, that was really amazing. In fact, there were so many of them; they all wanted to get on stage that we had to play one song with half of them on the stage, and then <laughs> move them off, and the other half came on for the next song. I don't think they even knew who we were or the songs that we were playing, but they were so excited. Yeah. Um, we've played in a library. Like, I've played in a few libraries, but we played in a library in Singapore, which was, like, a multi-story, supermarket-y kind wow. of department store, but it was a library. And we had we got to pick books that we wanted to talk about. So we'd, <laughs> we talked about books and then we played a song. and Between songs? Yeah. That's great. It was great. What it was, did you talk about? Oh, I talked about a few. I talked about, oh, God, what did I talk about? John Fante, uh, Trust the Dust. Yep. Um, maybe, like, uh, Douglas Coupland's uh, Girlfriend and a... No, no, no. Life Without God or something. Yeah. Or maybe Generation X. I don't know. I can't remember. But that was just like we could combine all these things that we loved in a place that was so weird with people who that probably couldn't weird. understand what we were saying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I love it. Yeah, it was cool. Um, there should be more book-related rock shows. I think so. Just everyone Definitely. could just bring their favourite book, have a quick book report. Yeah. <laughs> book club yeah. with bands. Yeah. <laughs> uh I'm just trying to think of bad gigs where things all go wrong and I have lots of dreams <laughs> where everything goes wrong, like anxiety yeah. performance dreams. I have those all the time. Yeah. I'm often in a, the crowd trying to get to the stage oh. and I can hear the band starting without me and I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> or I've been on like the back of a motorcycle and they're trying to get me through the festival to the stage, but it's so far away yeah. and I'm hugging my pillow on the bike. <laughs> I just want to sleep. Get me there. <laughs> I read one once before a really big tour where I must have been really anxious where yeah. um, I was the keyboard player for Silverchair but we were playing in a treehouse and all the audience <laughs> were down there on the grass and I started playing and I just realised I didn't know any oh, Silverchair wow. songs. <laughs> and you had been was, going to practice. Like I don't even know any, not one song. <laughs> yeah. And they were turning around going, what the fuck, man? Play along. And I was like, I don't know any of your songs. <laughs> so that's quite telling, isn't it? Um, have you had this, the dreams where you're at stages on a slant and all of your gear is slowly falling <laughs> off it? Yeah, so I'm going to step on your pedal and it's like it's slowly moving away and you're like, you know, and your amp's falling. Yeah. Yeah, they're off. I haven't had them for a while, but I had them a lot when I was touring a lot. <laughs> what about, have you had any injuries in real life on stage um i got <laughs> I, i've had a guitar thrown at my head what yeah tim Both... launched a guitar at me whoa hit me in the head we we're in canberra i didn't even see it coming it just he just he threw it across the stage <laughs> and went bang into your head into my <gasps> head i saw stars like i you know that cartoon thing i saw stars floating around my head and i just kind of fell over but i was okay holy crap um i'm i may not have been okay <laughs> But I was fine. I got up. I think I swore at him like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> he could 
probably killed me anyway. So we just kept playing the song. Um, <laughs> I I had a guitar hit me. Violent Soho hit me in the head. Um, we I was at the Great Escape in Brighton in the UK, and I was standing kind of front of the stage, but to the side. Yeah. And James at the end threw up his guitar <gasps> really high, and I was standing next to oh this no. girl, and we're all watching it, and it was coming down, and it was actually coming towards my head, oh and no. I just went, ah! <laughs> and um, it hit my hand, and my hand was covering my temple, Whoa. and I got like a big bruise on my <gasps> hand, and I got a bruise on my temple. And James just jumped down and grabbed me and went, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's like... Like, he didn't hit the other girl. I've yeah. been hit in the head before by a guitar. So <laughs> Mine's already I'm dented. okay. Yeah, right. Because you could have oh killed her. I'm That's like, crazy. I'm, sh- I'm like used to this shit. <laughs> I, um, I once got hit in the face with a... Um, with a sign from, um, and you'll know us by the Trail of Dead. They oh. threw the sign into the audience. Oh. And it just like slashed my face open. <gasps> I was such a big fan too. I was like at the front, so excited, and then just like. I've been oh at the front of their God. gigs too. I love going. In blood. That's not cool. That's not cool. <laughs> Unless you're Danzig or something yeah. on stage as Danzig yeah, with yeah. fake blood, not yeah. like for real. Um, injuries, I've cut my feet, like, you know, because mm. I would always be barefoot. And then when I look at the stage of the daytime, you know, like, I yeah. I stood on that with, like, out protection. Yeah. I know, you're always barefoot. Yeah. Have you done that your whole um, career? I didn't at the beginning, but it, I think it actually originated from seeing the hard-ons playing and Ray wearing yeah. those shoes. And I... I don't think I was wearing shoes either, but he explained that he didn't wear shoes because he could feel the vibrations. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that makes sense because you can't hear the bass when you're up close to it like a guitar because of the waves, the sound waves. Yeah. Um, And then so it kind of just made sense. I was like, that was the reason why I was not wearing shoes now too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, then I got... Gross. And at then, times. yeah, you know, but yeah. I had really strong feet. Then I used to walk around with no shoes all the time. Yeah. Like, I could stand on glass and Whoa. hot bitumen and all kinds of stuff. Ugh, what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I have really delicate feet now. Because, yeah. like, I'm, I wear shoes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, we, I think we've been talking for a really long time. Holy and crap. Can we... you just cut out all the stuff about my childhood? <laughs> Sure. Let's go straight to the good yeah, stuff sure thing. that the breed is. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me, My Kelly. My pleasure.